everybody. How you guys doing? Happy New Year. So good to see you guys. You're looking uh, fit. Uh, you're looking healthy. You're looking like uh, you've totally just like dealt with all of the holiday binging and you're, you're back to normal. Good job. Um, we missed seeing you guys all last Sunday. Uh, we, we didn't meet together as a church. We took the Sunday off. We gave all of our staff a really well-deserved break. Um, but hopefully you took some time to reflect a little bit just about, you know, kind of the year that, we, that we've been through and then maybe even kind of look a little bit ahead to the future. New Year is a great time for us to take stock of our lives. Like, just to, just to pause and think, how are things going? What has been good? What has been hard? And then, and, 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 and just kind of thinking through the way that God has carried us through the last year or maybe the last several years. In fact, today is a, an anniversary for me. Um, this Sunday marks eight years of being the pastor of this church, which is super cool. Uh, it's been an honor. And I'll tell you, uh, eight years ago was January 2016. It's been a wild eight years, hasn't it? Now, we, we will take time and we'll reflect on the year that was behind, but our tendency isn't really to linger long on the question of what's behind us. Most of us prefer to sort of forecast into the future, to start thinking about, okay, what's past is past. I want to think about how I'm going to have the next year is going to be the best year ever. I'm going to make these resolutions to become a new and better me. And, and I, I love forecasting into the future. I love thinking about what's ahead. But I don't know if you thought much about the year that we are about to embark on, like at a big picture level. But here's a spoiler. 2024 is going to be pretty wild, right? Like you may not have heard, but we are going into an election year this year. Has anybody heard that news? Yeah, maybe a little bit here and there. And it's going to be pretty exciting. Now, Close your eyes for a second with me. Let's, let's do some imagination together. Can you close your eyes for a second? Let your imagine, imagination go a year ahead. It's now January 2025. The election is over, and we're about to swear in either Donald Trump or Joe Biden for four more years. Okay, open your eyes. How do you feel? How are you guys feeling right now? We doing okay? Even the people in the room who don't care about politics at all just felt something in your stomach, right? Every single one of us. There's a small chance that maybe you felt some kind of optimistic relief when you imagine your preferred candidate winning, but neuroscience tells us that we are much more likely to be filled with anxiety. Our, we are wired to think with dread rather than hope. Now, take a minute and look at the person next to you. Okay, maybe take a look at somebody who's behind you, like peer into their soul, try to figure out what's going on with them. <laughs> All right, here's the news about that person. There is like a coin flip chance that that person is going to vote for the other person, for the other guy, okay? Now everybody, everybody, can I get your attention? Look at me. There's like a pretty good chance I'm gonna vote for somebody you don't like, your pastor. How does that feel? How are we feeling? I just, I thought I'd kick off the new year by getting everybody like anxious and suspicious of each other. <laughs> so here's the thing about 2024. The next year, there is going to be tons of arguing. 
there will be tons of accusations. There will be conspiracies and conspiracy theories running rampant. There will be a bunch of intense things that happen politically and economically, things that are gonna happen in our justice system, things that are gonna happen locally right here in Vancouver, and then obviously we see all kinds of major things happening internationally. And these things that are happening and that are going to happen are going to put a lot of pressure on your mental and emotional well-being. The year ahead is going to put a lot of pressure on your family. Like, I don't know what your family is like, but if we talk politics in my family, it usually doesn't go so well. Maybe we're like the exception. Most of you probably have great harmonious political conversations with family members. Over the last eight years, the trend in America is that people have lost friends, that they've lost trust in their family members. They've strained relationships in their workplaces, where, uh, workplaces or anywhere else because of the political moment that we're in. And here's, here's some more news. The church is not immune from this. Like, believe it or not, Christians have also tended to break relationships or leave churches because their pastor didn't say the right thing at the right moment or maybe said the wrong thing at the wrong moment. Now close your eyes again. One more exercise, okay? Imagine a year from now, January 2025, and imagine that the people who are sitting around you right now are still sitting around you. And that you know them better. And that you love them more deeply, knowing that they for sure voted differently than you or thought something different than you. Imagine this room is full of more people. People that you have been praying for. And they finally have met Jesus. And they're growing in their faith. Imagine a depth of belonging and community here at the vineyard that doesn't ignore what's happening in the world, but also isn't destroyed by what's happening in the world. You can open your eyes. That's what I want to imagine. And the question is, how do we become that kind of family? How do we become that kind of community? We all know that like a societal storm is going to hit, and how do we prepare to go through this storm in such a way that we come out the other side stronger and healthier and more loving than we are today? How are you preparing for 2024? Now, each winter uh, in our sermon series, we like to take a few weeks to teach about one of our core values, which is the value of formation. And formation is a fancy word that is basically just how we become who we are becoming. Healthy formation is the way that we are being formed sort of to be more like Jesus and to join him in his work in the world. Now, if you've been in church world, like evangelical, you know, non-denominational church world for very long, no doubt your grid for spiritual formation that you've been given uh, is that here, here's how you grow or here's how you're formed. Just read your Bible, pray every day, attend a church most Sundays, join a small group, serve and give. And if you do those things, then you will just, then you'll become a better Christian and life will go well for you. And I believe in all of those things. If you want to make a list of, of uh, uh, New Year's resolutions, I'd say start there. Attend church, read your Bible, pray, serve, give, and be connected in community through a life group. But 
these things are not enough to automatically make us mature. The truth is that for many of us who have followed Jesus for any length of time, even doing all of the Christian things, we can still end up being shallowly shaped. Instead, what we want to be is deeply formed. And being deeply formed means more than just becoming more disciplined or more moral. We also need to become emotionally healthy. And so, for the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at six principles of emotional health that is based off of this book by Pete Scazzaro. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Quick show of hands. Has anybody read this? Yeah, like a smattering. Um, a great book. Um, also, another good one is uh, The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis. Uh, pick those up if you want to read along with us through this, this series. But as we look to the year ahead, we want to become an emotionally healthy church. And the first step, what we're going to be talking about today, uh, the first step towards becoming emotionally healthy is to learn to look beneath the surface. Now, many of us are really good at ignoring the warning signs of what is going on beneath the surface. It is so easy and often more comfortable to live our lives kind of at a shallow, superficial surface level. <clears throat> How many of you guys remember the movie Titanic? Yeah, 1997, first movie to, to make a billion dollars. Now, in, in, and, and it also, it like really happened, so maybe you remember it from history. Um, now, on the Titanic, there was this upper deck and this lower deck, and they were in stark contrast to each other. On the upper deck, you had like amazing luxury and opulence, fine food, fine clothing, Billy Zane, and on the other hand, the lower decks, well beneath the surface, it was filled with poverty-stricken passenger, passengers that all had a really good time partying together down below. Now, after a few days at sea, the Titanic hit an iceberg. Spoiler. And to everyone at the top deck, everyone at the top deck, when they hit this iceberg, it felt like just like a big bump. Nothing much to worry about. But below deck, there was this invisible crisis that was happening. Up top, everything was magnificent, everything was grand. But down below, the water level was beginning to rise. And in America, it's relatively easy to sort of live in this upper deck, whatever your version of the upper deck is. That even when the bumps of life hit, we can usually ignore what's happening down below. But sooner or later, the issues that are down below will begin to rise to the surface. We can look impressive to other people from the outside, all while hiding something that is deeply like malformed and broken behind the exterior. And the first step toward becoming spiritually and emotionally healthy is to examine what is happening beneath the surface rather than ignoring the warning signs. Uh, my first car was a 1977 Honda Accord CVCC. It was this beautiful hatchback, classic car. You had to start it with a choke. It was amazing, but it got wrecked, and it was really disappointing. And then I ended up getting uh, my second car was a 1992 Toyota 4Runner. And this car had problems from day one. It was always like in the shop, always broken, always needed something fixed. And so because it always had problems, I had become very accustomed to seeing dashboard lights turn on and off and for about a month, my check engine light was on. And I ignored it, because I was 17. I'll get around to it later. It's not a big deal. And then, after a little while of the check engine light being on, my oil pressure light went on. 
probably not a big deal. And then a slight knocking sound under the hood showed up. And so I kept driving, had to get to school. And then on my way to school at 7 a.m., the whole engine blew up, completely destroyed my car. So I called my dad. And he looked me in the eye and he asked, what happened? Like, was the check engine light on? Yeah. Man, you have no oil in your car. Was the oil pressure gauge on? Yeah. And my dad looked at 17-year-old me like completely dumbfounded. How did this child become this way? <clears throat> Similarly, I know people like in my own family who refuse to go see a doctor because they're afraid that the doctor might find something wrong with them. I can't see a doctor. What if they tell me I'm sick? It's better to just not go. An interior, <laughs> interior examination is paying attention to the actual signs of unhealth that, that times of pressure begin to reveal. Paying attention to our feelings and our habits and our physical symptoms and our relationships. And as we look forward to sort of uh, 2024 as a year of pressure, we need not fear, but we can recognize that the pressures of the year ahead will be an opportunity to reveal the very real stuff that God wants to deal with. In interior examination, we are learning how to listen deeply to ourselves with God's help. Now, knowing, knowing ourselves is integrally connected to our ability to know God. Throughout the history of God's people, leaders in the church have reminded us of the importance of self-examination. St. Augustine wrote, O oh God, let me know myself and let me know you. Or as the prophet Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. John Calvin, sorry Tyler, <laughs> he's staring right through me. I feel so self-conscious right now. John Calvin may have said it better than anyone else though. This is real. The knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Now, when you're reading John Calvin, he is not like reflecting to us sort of the, the, the same kind of language that you would hear in 21st century pseudo-spiritual culture of, you know, you just need to know yourself. Just, just get to know yourself. No, Calvin is actually speaking about having a knowledge of our creatureliness, of our condition of sin, of our internal brokenness. It's a self-knowledge that recognizes and acknowledges that, that we live in a fallen state apart from God. And we do everything that we can to not be face-to-face -face with our creatureliness. In fact, the moment from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first sinned, what did they do? The first uh, impulse was to hide, to cover up their shame. And this is what we all do too. Because facing the reality of our sin and our brokenness, our creatureliness is scary. Looking with openness and honesty at what is happening beneath the surface of our lives means that we often won't like what we see. Andreas Ebert wrote this, many avoid the path of self-knowledge because they are afraid of being swallowed up in their own abysses. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life 
and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves. Because God loves us unconditionally, along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, and, uh, sorry, in the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be, at the same time, the beginning of our healing. Here's essentially what he's saying, that we don't need to be afraid of the inward journey because we don't make the journey alone. In fact, Jesus has already made the journey through all of the abysses of the human condition and come out the other side. We don't even have to lead the way. God is our guide in interior examination. And in Psalm 139, David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test or examine me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, because God alone can see what's deep under the surface, we need him to search us and examine us and reveal the things that we cannot see. That God is like a building inspector, and he's going down into the crawl space to check the foundations. He's, he's showing us the stuff that has been papered over. He walks us into the place of deep wound or into the lies that we have believed or the fears that we have allowed to control us. And as we invite him to inspect us and lead us into healing and maturity, it, it begins to prepare us for the next season when the pressures and the storms of life beat against our house. See, what we are doing, when we, we don't need to fear interior examination because of the gospel. And the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever could have imagined. And yet, you are more accepted and loved than you could have hoped because Jesus lived and died in your place. We can take the inward journey with confidence because of the love of Jesus, that he already sees our inner parts, the best and the worst of us, and, he's, and his love reaches to those deepest places. The inward journey can be scary, and the inward journey can be painful, and God is the one who is leading us, but he'll often lead us into the places of pain because it's only there that we can experience healing. One of the best parts about being a dad of young kids is that I get to read my favorite books to my kiddos. Uh, and I love to do all of the voices and sometimes act it out. It's fun. One of my all-time favorite books is Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. How many of you guys read Voyage of the Dawn Treader? It's a classic. And one of the characters in the book is this whiny, selfish boy named Eustace. And at one point, because of his selfishness and greed, he ends up being turned into a big, ugly dragon. Now, Eustace does not want to be a dragon. He wants to be a boy, but he can't turn himself back into, into the boy that he was. And so the great lion, Aslan, appears to Eustace, the dragon, and he leads him to a well where he can take a bath and that this is going to bring healing, healing. But because Eustace is a dragon, he can't enter the well. So Aslan tells him to undress. He, he tells him to take off his skin like a snake can. And so Eustace, he begins to claw at his skin to peel it back. And he works really hard and he peels back that first layer. And, and in peeling back that first layer, he, he finds that it actually feels good to shed some of this scaliness. 
But then as he walks toward the well, he realizes there are more layers of hard, scaly skin to remove. There is more dragonliness than he is able to remove himself. And he asks Aslan, how many skins, how many layers do I have to take off? And Aslan looks at him and says, you will have to let me undress you. And then this is Eustace's reply. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the, the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like, it, it hurts like Billy, oh, but it is such fun to see coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I did not like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. The journey inward... It can feel kind of, kind of good, you know, like peeling an old scab or something. But often, it feels more like God's claws are going so deep in us that they are cutting to the very heart. Sometimes the pain, it comes from the realization of just how our sin has affected other people that we love and care about. Sometimes the pain is just recognizing who we have become. Sometimes the pain is seeing how long and difficult the path of transformation will be. But the alternative is to stay a hard, scaly dragon. And all of the pain is worth it because it's the only way towards real healing and deeper maturity. And God does not leave us alone on this journey. He walks with us every step of the way. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to spend time going deeper into these spaces. We're gonna look at our past. We're going to embrace vulnerability. We are going to accept our limits. We're going to wade into grief and loss. And we wanna look at what it means to become an incarnational representation of Jesus' way of love. And I hope that you'll come along for the journey. So I wanna end this sermon with a simple exercise to to sort of spur us on toward a journey of interior examination. Um, I have a spiritual director, and uh, a while back, she, she took me through this exercise, asking me four questions, and then just giving me space and quiet to reflect. And I actually used that tool a lot this last year, especially while I was on sabbatical. And so I'm going to lead us through four questions. If you have a piece of paper and you want to write things down, or if you have a phone and you want to take notes on your notes app or something like that, you can. Um, or you can just sit quietly with it. But we're going to just kind of create a little bit of quiet space in the room. And I'm just going to ask us a couple of questions. And then we'll uh, invite the ministry team to come up and, and to be available to pray for anybody, and we'll dismiss. Sound good? Okay. I'm going to pray, and then we'll ask the questions. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you, and we just want to recognize your presence in the room, that you are the one who leads us, you are the one who speaks to us, you are the one who uh, 
takes us past the surface that we can see with our own eyes. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see deeper into ourselves, our motivations, our fears, our hurts, our desires, and to pay attention to the lights that are on the dashboard so that you can lead us into greater healing. Come, Lord. The first question is, in this season, what are the dominant thoughts that run through your mind? next question. In this season, what are the dominant feelings you are experiencing? The third question, in this season, what is the condition of your body? How does your body feel? The next question, in this season, what are your deepest and or strongest desires?
And then we'll just add one last question, which is what are your deepest and your strongest fears? That was a little less than five minutes of an exercise. It was very short. And it's something that I want to encourage you to maybe take some time this week where you can carve out a little bit more time with each of these questions, maybe journal them out a little bit. Um, we'll also put these, these questions, these block of questions in the newsletter um, later this week if you'd like to, to come back to them. But how are you feeling? Good. As we begin this journey, the journey really starts not with where am I trying to get. The journey kind of needs to start with where am I right now. And I think that God wants to take us a little bit deeper in those spaces. So will you stand with me?